everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. 2013 edition. Everybody, and welcome to the Guild of Films podcast. Which picture was best episode? Uh, good to be back, as always. We are going to be talking about a year that is very, very recent. It's 2013. Here, as always, is Brett. Hello, Brett. Hello, hello. Glad to be back. And we have a new uh, guest co-host with us, who I'm going to let Brett introduce. Brett, go ahead. Yes, we got a new guest here that we've never had on the show before. She's pretty important to me. We happen to be dating and we live together. So <laughs> welcome, Haley. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Well, this should be easy because these two are literally sitting next to one another. So I'm the only one in a different time zone. We got two of them over there. They watch these movies. I watch these movies. Haley, are you excited to do this? I am. I think, yeah, I, I'm really excited. Some of them are very interesting, so I'm excited to debate. And you've pretty much been listening to us record these for a while, right? Yes. Yeah, because Brett's basically been in a room, and we're always like, is Haley there? Yeah, she's outside. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I can always hear him recording. In the other room. So one could say she's in the room where it happens? <laughs> Yep, every could say that. Normal can trade Anyway, yeah, but um, so this is 2013. So Brett, what do you what do you want to say about 2013? It's so recent. It is. This is uh, definitely the most recent year we've covered. Pre we did do the year 2012, so we've been pretty close before. But yeah, most recent year we've covered so far, and really like freaking great year in my opinion. So, I mean, we're gonna go through some of those great films today. We'll have more films that we'll talk about in our next episode, but really, really awesome year. And this is a, like, this is a big year for me because although I've mentioned, like I started doing my Oscar watching in 2012, this was the first year where I lived outside of a town with more than 1800 people. So we actually had some cinemas where I can go and like, watch a lot of these movies so this is my first year where i actually like was able to see the stuff that they were nominating and whatnot so but yes these were the 86th academy awards they're held on march 2nd 2014 our best picture winner that night was 12 years a slave best director went to alfonso coron for gravity his first best director win best actress went to kate blanchett her second oscar for blue jasmine Best Actor went to Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club. Best Supporting Actress went to Lupita Nyong'o in her first big role for 12 Years a Slave. And we don't talk about Best Supporting Actor that year. So, no. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club, a film that we will also discuss today. So, Gravity was definitely the big winner of the night with seven wins. 
um, and it tied for the most nominations with American Hustle with 10. American Hustle walked away with zero that night. So <laughs> one of the few to have double digit noms and not win a single one. <laughs> Hosted by, quote, the late Ellen DeGeneres for the second time. She was a different, I, I, I think we had a different perception of her back then than we do now. Boy, do we. <laughs> But she, you know, that, that was kind of a big deal. She had the Oscar selfie that, you know, broke Twitter and became like the most retweeted photo of all time. And um, she handed out pizza to, to Harrison Ford and whatnot. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, she had fun with it. This also, they also featured a 75th anniversary tribute to the Wizard of Oz and Pink performed Over the Rainbow, which is kind of nice. I'm sure you were probably appreciative of that, Christian. I will never forget, let me just say on that, that I had a former friend who questioned why there was not a 75th anniversary tribute to Gone with the Wind that same year. And I said, okay, well, does Gone with the Wind have like a song that they could just like stop mid-show to actually sing that everybody knows about? Yeah, no. And please listen to our 1939 song because I'm pretty sure I sang the Christian made-up theme song to the Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Definitely. This was also a big year for viewership, 43.74 million viewers, and that was the last time the Oscars topped 40 million. I think now they average like 22 or 23. So kind of the last really big year for that. I kind of feel that's because of Ellen too. Oh yeah, I mean, I remember like, not gonna lie, I thought Ellen was great when I watched this Oscars. Like I thought she was a great host and so just her charisma helped as well for sure. But yes, we have got nine Best Picture nominees this year to go through. And so we will start right off the bat with our first one, which Christian is going to introduce for us. <sighs> he must. So the first film we want to talk about, unfortunately, is American Hustle. So basic synopsis of this. It is about a con man played by, the hell's his name? Christian Bale. Bale <laughs> playing literally every character he's played since the mid to 2010s okay and again this is the mid 2010s so anyway so he falls in love with amy adams who is sort of a con woman himself herself um they pretty much do some forgery with some paintings some other things until the fbi gets a hold of them the fbi agent played by bradley cooper sort of strikes a bargain with them that they get into sort of political corruption alongside Jeremy Renner. He's sort of a corrupt mayor. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is in there for the comic relief because that's really all she's good for in this movie, but she's part of the best aspects of it. Anyway, um, so I have a checkered past with this movie. <laughs> Let's just say, as we all know, this is one of the best trailers I've ever seen in a film only to be saddened on December 19th, 2013, when I saw the seven o'clock preview for this film, to be left very bored and very uninterested with this. It's aged on me a little bit, I will say. I enjoy it for the most part. I think I enjoy more of the acting of it because the actors are all pretty much incredible in this. Maybe not Christian Bale as much. Um, I know, Brett, you told me you sort of agree with that. Um, but yeah, 
It's American Hustle. David O. Russell, this is his second film in pretty much the year, because 2012, we talked about Silver Linings Playbook. But yeah, it's a movie that pains me. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You go. Um, I actually really liked this movie. I think the part that I liked the most about it, though, was definitely Jennifer Lawrence. Like, all of her little snippets throughout the entire movie are just hilarious. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite part is... I know there's one time when she like lights the oven on fire and then there's another time when she's at the bar with them all and she's just like basically like oh well you know I'm just fabulous so I, she's my favorite part of the whole dang movie. Yeah I believe the term you're looking for is the science oven the science of aka a microwave because um, it's like <laughs> this is like their first microwave but yeah I don't know. I, I agree. The acting is pretty stellar for the most part. I don't think Christian Bale is bad. I just think that, he, you know, he got an Oscar nomination for this. And this is like one of the best years for male lead acting performances I think I've ever encountered. And they're just like, I, I, I could list off at least five people who are more deserving of that, maybe more. But um, I agree. Jennifer Lawrence is probably my favorite performance in the movie i i you know she's funny she's kind of dumb but also witty in a weird way and you know she was pretty i mean she was obviously huge right now i mean she was this was her second consecutive film with david o russell and she had just won for silver Lang's playbook she was in the second hunger games film this year and she claimed pretty damn close to winning a second consecutive oscar i mean if she won the Golden Globe. If it wouldn't have been for Lupita Nyong'o, she would have won two straight. Um, I was so afraid that she was going to get that close, too, because I, I championed Lupita through this whole thing. And once she won that Globe, I'm like, oh, fuck, what? Yeah, no. I mean, I was kind of saying, because, like, I was, I'm still a big Jennifer Lawrence fan, but I was, like, Jennifer Lawrence fan deluxe after Silver Linings Playbook. But even I was, like, all right, Jennifer, you won yours. Lupita is incredible. And yeah, it was kind of down to the wire. I, I honestly, I thought Lupita was going to win, but until they said her name, I'm like, maybe Jennifer will. So, but I also really like Bradley Cooper here. I think his perm should probably have won an Oscar this year. <laughs> um, but no, he has some funny scenes. I will say, I do agree, Christian, that the film is not as good as the trailer is. Like, and I, I rewatched the trailer yesterday to make sure that all my thoughts were right and what I felt. And sure enough, the trailer is good. It's really good. It's like, it's Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin. And it's like really well edited. And it just looks like a lot of fun. And I enjoy the film. I really like it. You know, it's probably like four out of five stars for me. But from what you expect after watching that trailer, it's not quite on that level of intensity. Mm -hmm. so. I'm also just salty with this movie because of Christian Bale after last year. So I'm, I'm never going to. Oh, because of Vice. Yeah, I'm never, I'm never going to get over that, like ever. So At least, he can. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I really like the costume design. I personally think the costume design probably should have won an Oscar over The Great Gatsby. I think it's great, but, and you know, the, the editing is pretty good as well, but I mean, it's, you know, it's in a great best picture lineup. It's 
near the bottom. Let's put it that way. I will say Amy Adams is good in this. This isn't her best. Sure. Did she win a globe for this? Yes. Yes, she did. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, because this ran comedy category, so... And it, I think it won Best Comedy at the Globes. Yeah, Best Comedy Musical at the Globes. So, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Christian, do you want to run over our fun facts real quick? Yes. And by the way, man, I should have like, looked at my Facebook post for this movie because I'm sure I wrote something the night I saw it. Anyway, um, so this was nominated for 10 uh, Oscars and it won nothing. Picture director for David O. Russell, Amy Adams, Christian Bale, Jennifer Lawrence, and Bradley Cooper all got nominations. And this is the actual consecutive year that a movie got all four acting nominations. And it was also directed by David O. Russell. Silver Linings Playbook did that. So, you know, they had a good couple of years there. Um, also costume design, film editing, production design, and original screenplay. Uh, like we said, it won the Globe for comedy. Um, actress in a comedy and supporting actress, loosely based on the ab scam FBI sting in the late 1970s, early 80s. Much of the film was improvised. You can definitely tell that. <laughs> there are over 200 visual shots in this film, and most of them are removing modern cars and buildings. Could you imagine the budget just on that alone, though? Because it's not a movie you think, oh, how about those visual effects in American Hustle? Like. <laughs> That's really weird. That's an interesting fact. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, my hot take was the trailer is incredible. The movie is meh. And David O. Russell was reportedly harsh enough on the cast that Amy Adams cried nearly every day on set. Wow. That's awful. He's yeah. been accused of that before. Like their stuff has come about, about him over the years being very harsh on his actors, actresses, actresses in particular. So... If anybody's interested, YouTube him and Lily Tomlin going at it when he directed I Heart Huckabees. Yes. I was trying to think of who it was. Yeah, Lily Tomlin. And the biggest uh, little fun fact that I took from this was according to the Sony hack of 2014, everybody remembers that, it was reported that Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence made less money than their male co-stars, despite having equivalent time appearances in the film, significance to the plot, and similar popularity. That is in terms of the, like, their celebrity mm-hmm. star status. I remember and when that happened. It's like, really those two who like make this movie. Oh yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely the top tier. And I remember like when that happened, Jeremy Renner, who was like Jennifer Lawrence's co-star, was like, it's not my responsibility to look out for them and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, you're kind of a douche. But yeah, I remember Jennifer Lawrence kind of making some statements about that and whatnot. So It's facts like these that make me not envy Hollywood <sighs> <Yeah>. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask, I mean, you all, because just... If you found this film difficult to follow at times, because, yes. yes. I mean, like, I got, I understood the stuff with the politicians to a degree. I didn't always understand what Bale and Amy Adams were doing with their, like, what do they call it? Their their loan fraud or whatever. That could have been a little bit, explained a little bit better for me. But, I don't know, it is kind of interesting to follow at times. And I think that's why when I first saw this, I was 
I, well, first of all, I really didn't know what I was expecting. You kind of go into this expecting it to be one story, when in reality, there's like maybe three different plots happening. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a plot happening to each of these four people in this thing. Yeah. Plus Jeremy Renner. Plus Jeremy Renner. Like I said, I really liked the movie, but I, when I watched the um, trailer for the first time, I imagined it was going to be something like Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Twelve, that just something to like keep me going, something that I'm going to be interested in the full, you know, I think those movies are like three hours each. They're so long, but it, it really, like if it wouldn't have been any longer than it was, I would have gotten extremely confused and extremely bored. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, it's definitely a good film that I enjoy for what it is, but when you watch that trailer, you expect excitement and it's not really a fast moving film. So. Mm-hmm. And this is like the type of movie that it, it really should be. It seems on the surface to be one that's going to age well and be in high regard later on. I don't hear anybody talking about it. I don't think anybody cares. I, I don't either. In fact, most of the time when I hear something about American Hustle, it's kind of along the lines of disappointment. And so, I mean, even I, like even me who gave it four out of five stars and thinks it's a pretty darn good movie, even I'm a little bit disappointed based on what I expected from it and based on what David O. Russell did with Silver Linings Playbook the previous year. So. This movie scars me. <laughs> Yes. American Hustle, our first nominee. Any further thoughts on that? I was happy it didn't win anything. (laughs) Yeah, quite the, not a very good showing at the Oscars. So, all right. Well, then I will jump in and introduce our next film. The next one is Captain Phillips, starring Tom Hanks as Richard Phillips who was a captain on the, the um, cargo ship called the Marisk, Alabama. And he's basically, it's something he does pretty routinely. He's a captain, been on a lot of mess, missions, missions, trips. This took place in 2009, um, and he sets up on what they know is a pretty dangerous route for piracy. It goes around the Horn of Africa. And sure enough, not very long into the trip, they are boarded and hijacked by pirates from Somalia who are led by, um, what's his name? Muse, who is played by Barkhad Abdi, who is kind of like Lupita Nyong'o. Nobody really knew who he was. This was kind of like his debut feature. And he ended up with an Oscar nomination because of it. And so basically it's about you know, Tom Hanks playing Captain Phillips who has to negotiate with these pirates while trying to protect his crew and things kind of go along the way. The crew kind of gets involved and eventually he ends up basically being taken captive by these four, um, these hijackers. And so it kind of follows that the Navy SEALs get involved. I don't know if you all remember this, but I remember pretty clearly when this happens, hearing about it on the news, um, because it, I mean, it sounded like a movie, um, you know, that he got hijacked, he got captured, the Navy SEALs came in, did their work, and, um, well, I'm not going to spoil what happens. So, 
I don't I really like this movie. I remember when I first saw this in theaters, it was like one of the most anxiety inducing movie experiences I've ever had. And that is still the case watching it on our 32 inch screen TV here in our living room. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting there and like, they're boarding the ship and there's a really damn good use of the score and that like they board the ship and then the music stops and you're like, shit. <laughs> and then once he gets in the, they get in this lifeboat and you just feel claustrophobic. It's a film that really takes its time, but is never boring in the slightest. There's always something going on. Barkad Abdi is a revelation in this supporting role. You know, he's got that now famous line, look at me, I'm the captain now. And Tom Hanks is great as well. Tom Hanks, the last, I mean, he's great for the entire movie, but I still stand by the last 10 to 15 minutes is really some of the best acting I have ever seen of displaying someone who is in shock and has gone through a traumatic incident and trying to recover from it. Really great stuff. He was absolutely snubbed by the Academy, but it's nice that Barkhad Abdi got in. And yeah, what are your thoughts? Haley. I love this movie. I obviously, um, it's not one I think I would watch all the time because it is so anxiety producing. I don't think I could, it's not one that I could watch over and over and over again because it just had me on the edge of my seat and so scared the entire time. I was so scared for them all. Um, I think, Brett, like you said, the last 10 to 15 minutes with Tom Hanks, I just could not believe the acting that happened within that. that I, it was amazing, especially as someone who has been in certain crisis situations through my job, obviously nothing like that, but I, I handle crisis situations in housing and seeing the trauma that some of my students go through and seeing how healthcare professionals respond and they just remain so calm and collected and then also how people actually react to trauma that happens to them. I was just like, wow, I feel like I'm on duty right now. This is like super weird. Um, but it, it was just amazing. I think the other part that really just did me in was how Tom Hanks throughout the entire film, like you could tell that even though these pirates were hijacking his ship and his crew was in danger, he also knew that they really didn't have any other choice. Like this was their way of life to be able to survive and make money and provide for the people that they love. And you could tell that he was so conflicted throughout the entire film with that because he just hurt for them at the same time as being so scared of them. It, it was just amazing. I loved the film. I think I loved it this time too. Cause I mean, I've always really liked it. Cause when I remember seeing it in theaters too and like being sort of on the edge of my seat um Barkett is really good in this amazing really for like a like Lupita first time acting here you know um Tom Hanks is really good this is like a sort of a different role for him too but he's done like dramatic stuff before like we've talked about Philadelphia on this show but like uh, both of you that last 10-15 minutes is great when he gets stuff happens I won't spoil it I guess 
Wow, this movie is still so new. People can still go out and see it. Yeah, that's true. But no, it's good. And I, I watch this in the dark because I always have lights on, it seems, when I watch these movies. But I make sure the lights are out because I wanted that intensity. And getting in that little lifeboat mm-hmm. and, like, the way Paul Greengrass frames this stuff where it's so tight of shots that he makes everything so damn claustrophobic. Yeah. Like... And I'm pretty sure, didn't he direct United 93? He did. Yeah, so he's good at making us all tense. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, Paul Greengrass, I don't even, I think I forgot to mention that he directed this, but like, he's a great director. I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of his films, but like he did this, United 93. He did The Bourne Ultimatum, which is like one of my favorite pure action movies out there. And yeah, I love Hank's Abdi great on their own but when they get together the scenes when they are together they just shine and they feed off each other and abdi really commands this movie in a way that you wouldn't expect for an incoming actor who's playing his first role next to tom freaking hanks i mean he just takes over it at times and there's a scene where kind of where you're mentioning Haley that's it's not you know the pirates are you know, depicted as criminals, but they are also, there's a bit of a sympathetic feel to it, I think, in that it does portray that this is kind of their only choice to make any type of living at all in, you know, the, an impoverished nation, an area. And um, Barkhad Abdi has the line where Captain Phillips is saying, you know, you have 30 grand, why didn't you just go? You could do something else. And Abdi says, maybe in America, Irish maybe in America. And that just like drills home the point. This is why we're doing this. It's not something we want to do. It's because we don't really have a choice. I think the most sympathetic person I felt for in terms of the pirates anyway, was the youngest one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, he's like the youngest one of that group too. He's a kid. I think he's like 16 or 17. Wasn't it his first time too? Yes. yes. Yeah, so his first time going out. And even, you know, Captain Phillips is like, you're just a kid. Put your hands up. Surrender. Like, he doesn't want to see something bad happen to the kid. And we don't either. I mean, that's kind of scary in that way. But, yeah, really good stuff. Um, So, yes, this was directed by Paul Greengrass. It did receive six Oscar nominations but did not win any. It was nominated for Best Picture, Supporting actor for Barkhad Abdi. I was telling Chris the other day, imagine being an Oscar pundit at the beginning of 2013 and predicting that Abdi would get in and not Hanks. Everybody would call you crazy, but it happened. Um, Got nominated for film editing, sound editing, sound mixing, and adapted screenplay. It was based on... Go ahead. I just wanted to say, Barkhad won that BAFTA, if we all remember here. Right. Yeah. I don't even think Jared Leto was nominated for BAFTA. Hopefully not. (laughs) But it was based on Phillips' memoir, A Captain's Duty, Somali Pirates, Navy Seals, and Dangerous Days at Sea. Um, The producers actually recreated this ship and built it from the ground up by going and seeing the actual ship, which is in the National Navy UTD Seal Museum in Fort Pierce, Florida. Um, Talking about historical inaccuracies, some crew members who were there when the ship was hijacked claimed that Phillips was not as heroic as portrayed in the film. Surprise, surprise. 
and the crew actually sued Phillips, claiming he knew damn well of the dangers they were facing. Well, I mean, even in that, there's one scene in this where he's checking his email, and they're like, just be on alert for pirates. Yeah. So that's what I read, too, is that he knew that if he got as close as he did to Somalia, which is what it's basically that little tip point Mm -hmm. of Africa, that if you get close enough, they will come after you. Right. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. I remember when that came out that like Captain Phillips was actually like kind of an asshole and not very good as crew, but that happens all the time. They glamorize people in movies. So not that it's right, but um, Greengrass saw the pirates as criminals and not terrorists specifically. And he wanted the story to feature their desperation and willingness to do illegal and violent things as part of their hopelessness of life in Somalia. And really interesting stuff here. The famous line, I'm the captain now, was actually ad-libbed by Abdi in the role, which is impressive. That's amazing. So, but yeah, Captain Phillips, definitely worth checking out. Um, but definitely a high anxiety film. Any other thoughts on that before we move on to our next one? Uh, I'm looking at what Barkett Abdi has been up to these days. I'm not even joking you. It looks like he was in another film called The Pirates of Somalia. Oh, oh my goodness. 2017. Wow. So he's just going to be typecast now and yes. needs good role. Like, oh, it kills me. And Paul Greengrass is going to direct, well, this year, actually, a film called News of the World with Tom Hanks. With Hanks, yeah. I'm excited oh. for that one. Interesting. Good. All right. Well, our next film. We're going to skip it. All right. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to talk about this one. (laughs) This one's terrible. Okay. Well, spoiler alert, I would say we, all three of us would probably say, not probably, we would definitely say this is the weakest link of this group of nominees. It is Dallas Buyers Club. Directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. This features Matthew McConaughey in his Oscar-winning role as, <laughs> as an electrician named Ron Woodruff, who lives in Texas. He is a rodeo cowboy, and the film establishes pretty early on that he likes to have a lot of sex, a lot of unprotected sex, and do a lot of drugs as well, and drink a lot of beer and whiskey and whatnot. And so that kind of lifestyle... Um, And this takes place in 1985, and he eventually does come down with HIV AIDS. And so, you know, this is a time where he and many others still were under the impression that this was only something that afflicted gay men. Um, And so he, you know, he is very homophobic himself, so he kind of refuses to believe it at first, but obviously becomes very, very sick. And what the film turns into is kind of this take on big pharma and pharmaceutical companies withholding certain medications and drugs that might be able to help people while at the same time giving doctors meds that are pretty much proven not to work and giving those to patients instead. And so as a result, he teams up with Rayon, who is a fictional trans character, a trans woman character played by Jared Leto, who I will say is a cis man. I'm gonna throw that out there. And 
Woodruff basically establishes the quote Dallas Buyers Club where he sells subscriptions to HIV AIDS patients and supplies them with medicine on a monthly basis. As a result, he kind of takes on pharmaceutical companies and speaks out against them and whatnot. And it kind of goes from there. I just want to say like they mentioned in this film that there are Dallas, that there are buyers club all over the nation doing the same shit that Ron Woodruff is doing. Many of which were established by folks in the LGBTQ plus community may have been people of color because people of color were also highly affected by AIDS more so than others and or specifically black communities. And that's not addressed at all in the movie. So why the hell are we focusing on this racist homophobic character anyway? I mean, the film I think is pretty, is, is very problematic because it uses Rayon as this trans character as a way to signify that Ron Woodruff becomes more tolerant per se. And if you look this up, that's not what, ha- like the screenwriters have said he was as racist and homophobic as they come to the day he died. And so it kind of turns a, 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 a not good person into a savior. And, you know, I think Matthew McConaughey is good. I also think he's just very Matthew McConaughey. And so he lost a lot of weight for this role. And I think that's why he won the Oscar. Jared Leto is not just very problematic casting. I don't think he's good here at all. I think it's a very stereotypical performance and a pretty harmful performance. And yeah, don't like this movie. You all can have your say. I mean, it's there. It's a movie. I rooted so hard for Matthew McConaughey to win for whatever reason back in the day. It was um, a reconnaissance. That was a big deal. The fact you said that, I am immediately canceling this episode. <laughs> Um, so I just want to read back a little snippet of my original review of this, which was February 7th, 2014. Four stars I gave this thing. Same. Let's see. Back in the day. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's performance is great. He's finally showing the true acting ability after years of romantic comedy leads. And similarly, Jared Leto playing a transgender friend who is perfection. Leto gives so much depth to Rayon for certain scenes, I cried. Yeah, ask me that now. Ask me that now, and that is some growth because I, my little hot take, which is a new segment of this podcast I created just for this, (laughs) is Jared Leto is, and I'm currently watching the Best Supporting Actor winners, the worst Best Supporting Actor winner that there ever has been. Okay, he contributes nothing to this. Again, like Brett said, very stereotypical character of Rayon. Very stereotypical to place this character in here to change the mind of this bigot, homophobic man in the span of two hours. Um, I don't know. Matthew McConaughey, just, he does nothing for me in this. I think the best character in this is Jennifer Garner's character. And that's not saying much because there's really only three characters in this movie. Right. Yep. And we named them all. Uh, other than that, no. I... I I watched this back in January because I was trying to watch all the best actor winners. So I didn't really want to rewatch this for obvious reasons. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, I would agree with both of your sentiments in that it's just a terrible movie. Like when I first watched it, I won't lie, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this, it it was pretty good. I would probably give it like 3.5 or four stars. And then I did a deep dive into who Ron Woodruff really was. And I was just like, oh, this is like a really bad movie. Like, they did not portray this racist, homophobic, white dude in the correct manner at all. Which Mm -hmm. is just so disheartening to me, because if you look at the history of HIV and AIDS in the United States, I mean, that, that is the story of what it was, is essentially all of these people ignoring that it was the epidemic that it really was, and was not helping all of these people who got HIV and AIDS specifically because they belong to the LGBTQIA plus community and specifically because so many of them were black trans folks, which is just, it, it, it makes my blood boil. I can't even, I can't even with this movie. I um, redid my, my rankings the other day and it is, it is definitely on the bottom. Like if if there could be a bottom of the bottom, like the trash bin, but <laughs> below the trash bin, that is where I would put this movie. Especially for those that watch it and have no real understanding of what actually happened with HIV and AIDS and how that has impacted the LGBTQIA plus community and black trans folks. Because I mean, if we look at the US right now, there are so many people that have no idea and they're never going to have any idea because they don't care to do any research. So movies like this just make my blood boil because it makes stuff like that even worse. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, movies are, are often not historically accurate. This is not a documentary, but this one is particularly harmful in the inaccuracies it presents, you know? And I don't want to paint it as if the movie treats Ron Woodruff like a saint, but it certainly portrays him as a character that does grow and becomes more aware over time. And, and this thing, like, I would love to watch a movie about a buyer's club somewhere. You know, they talk about how there's these in California and New York and, I just don't want to watch the one that Ron Woodruff set up. You know, I, there's no need for it. So. I'm just, I'm just over here reading the Wikipedia article about all the making of this film and stuff. Yeah, not good. And Christian, you did mention that like Jared Leto was the worst supporting actor win of all time. I will say. I haven't haven't finished that yet, but he's down at the very bottom. Well, I looked at my ranking today and I've only seen like 30 supporting actor wins and he is at the very bottom of mine as well. So not a good win, especially when like people like Barkhad Abdi are right there. So I mean, his win is weird. I, I don't know what. There's so many things that irks me about it. Like I can understand McConaughey's win because of, oh, he's doing this dramatic role. Like I said in my original review, he's no longer doing these rom-coms anymore, these action-adventure movies. He does like, look at this. He's a, it's a transformative role, which, as Brett will always tell me, that's what they love, the Oscars. And then you have Jared Leto, who I, 
contributes nothing to this movie. No. No, not at all. And he yeah. was like, it wasn't a surprise. Like, we knew damn well he was going to win going into Oscar night. I mean, for the most part, he was winning all the awards that season. And so, and also like Matthew McConaughey is a good actor. If you watch like the first season of True Detective, that's my favorite McConaughey performance. If you watch Mud from this year, he is really good in the supporting role in that movie. And he's okay. I like him here. He's good, but he's not Oscar level for me per se. So I'm reading this one little snippet about Leto from Times. You can tell I hate Leto in this so much. <laughs> but can I read it? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. From Times, um, Richard Corliss mm. noted Leto captures the sweet intensity and almost saintly good humor of a glamorous, poignant, and downright divoon creature, a blithe Camille who may surrender her health, but never her panache. That is so fucked up. I have no other words. People went for it. Voters went for it. I honestly, I can't. Uh. Anyway, this did win, of course, Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. It also won Best Makeup and Hairstyling, which well, I have no won, problem with. It won three Oscars. Three Oscars. It was nominated for three more, Best Picture, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Screenplay. Uh, the script was in development since 1992, which is around the time Woodruff died, I believe, when a magazine article was written on Woodruff and the Dallas Buyers Club. Um, became just the fifth film ever at the Oscars to win both Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Some others that were considered for the role before McConaughey were Woody Harrelson, Brad Pitt, and Ryan Gosling, which is very interesting to think about. I'd actually like to see Woody Harrelson in this. I think he, that's who I could see, you know. But McConaughey did lose 47 pounds for this film, which is a big reason he won. Same with Leto, who lost 30 like we said, Rayon and Dr. Eve Stacks, played by Jennifer Garner, were entirely fictional characters. And the treatments, the medical treatments that, and drugs that Woodruff promoted were not as effective as portrayed in the film. Makeup budget only cost $250, and it still went on to win an Oscar. And of course, once again, Christian's hot take that this is the worst winner of Best Supporting Actor ever. I ain't even done watching them all. <laughs> <laughs> but yes dallas buyers club we would not recommend it terrible movie if you're a completionist like us check it out otherwise probably not worth your time all right any further thoughts before we get on to our next one i will say the one thing i wish i know how to do is how the hell do you lose 47 pounds for a movie i would like to know how to do that but I think it's, it's fine. I think it's really, <laughs> it's very unhealthy, obviously. Jared Leto, though, he seems the type to go out into like the desert and not eat for 40 days. Oh, yeah. What? Look at the stories about what he did when he was taking yeah. the Joker for suicide. He like sent people dead cats and shit. <gasps> like, it said in the, uh, while well, reading the Wikipedia article that he did not break character for like the 30 days that they filmed this. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Christian, I'm sure you're very excited for our next one, so go ahead and take it away. This is the only movie that exists. 
So the next film is Gravity, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. And it, it is about, pre, there's more, but pretty much two astronauts. Dr. Ryan Stone, played by Sandra Bullock, and Matt Kowalski, played by George Clooney. They're doing a spacewalk. Um, Bullock's character is a scientist. She's doing her research up in space when some space debris from a space station pretty much blows up and directly impacts them. They are effectively lost in space. They have to find their way to a very nearby space station, very limited oxygen for the both of them. Kowalski, uh, George Clooney's character, is very experienced in space. He mentions that he pretty much will set a record for the most time up in space, while Sandra's character, she, this is her first time in space, so, you know, party for that. Uh, I'll spoil this, but obviously he untethers and lets her go so she can pretty much save herself. So for the most half of the movie, it is just Dr. Stone in space by herself, getting from space station to space station, trying to find her exit back to Earth. Because there's an escape pod in one of them. So... Um, it is a intense film. I will never forget seeing it in theaters. It is one of my favorite theater experiences. I cried. Uh, I was tensed up most of it. It won a shoot ton of Oscars, which we'll talk about. But it is pretty much incredible. I love this film so much. And in 2016, I took a class over the history of sound and music in cinema. Mm. And we had to pick one movie where we wrote about it the whole year so in 2016 from august to december i watched this film maybe five or six times in full yes good choice for me though because it is only 90 minutes long so it didn't take that long yeah so it also holds a special place in my heart because of that because i'm so used to this i know what's happening at all times i can tell you everything about the sound of this movie <laughs> all about the music but it is just incredible alfonso does such a great job in directing like he's one of my favorite directors so. and uh i know you two sort of hated it <laughs> <laughs> no i i love this movie i the reason i know we'll do our rankings later so i won't reveal anything but the reason where it was in my list is because it's not one that i think i could watch all the time because for me, it was so similar to Captain Phillips in that I just sat there and I was like, holy shit, the, the entire time. That was, that was me for seeing it. Yep. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it blew my mind. Everything that kept happening, I was just like, what? <laughs> what is going on? And I, I, there's so many parts of the movie that I'm just like, I would have had a panic attack by now and ran out of oxygen and died in space. <laughs> like I could not do that. And the fact that blows my mind even more about this is that there are actual like astronauts that exist and they like go and do that for a job. And I'm like, you could not pay me to go into outer space for a job. You could not pay me, especially after watching this movie. I think I would cry like walking into a rocket. I, I couldn't do it. 
anyway, it was phenomenal. I just couldn't watch it all the time because it's so anxiety producing. Yeah, you know, I, I saw this and Captain Phillips in the theater within like a couple weeks of each other. So yeah, imagine that feeling of those two trips to the theater. Incredible, but also like, I need to go like sleep for eight hours after I finish because I'm like, my body's exhausted. And this is shorter of the two. Yeah, and this is like, it, like you said, 90 minutes, you know, and it goes by pretty quick. And I saw this opening night, or not a, the, the Friday night that it came out. I saw it in 3D, and I do not like 3D. This is the only film that I have ever like really enjoyed in 3D. Like the 3D was really freaking good with this movie. And of course, that's the way it's shot by Quaron and his cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubezki, um, who is one of the best ever to do it. And what I think really sticks out to me about this film is that there's a lot of good visual effects over the years. There are not many visual effects that are timeless. You know, 2001, that's the movie I go to where like that movie, the visual effects do not look dated to me. I don't think the visual effects of gravity will ever look dated to me. It looks so real. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. It's some of the visual, best visual effects ever. This is really the technical achievement of 2013, if not the 2010s overall, if not multiple decades. And so I really, and the emotional level too, I was not going expecting to go in and get a freaking phenomenal Sandra Bullock performance out of this. I mean, she is great here. And I was like really freaking sad when George Clooney untethered. Like that is a really sad moment in the movie. I cried. And yeah, and <laughs> I don't expect that. The one thing that, that does give me a bit of an issue at times is the dialogue in the screenplay. Particularly when it slowed us down and she's like talking to people on the radio, it feels a bit forced to me. It feels a bit like, yeah, like they could have toned it down a little bit, made it a little less, you know, I don't know. That part just like, it, that dialogue has just always bothered me and I don't know why. It just I feels forced. To me. I strongly disagree. Say what? Oh. I, I strongly disagree with you. Thank like you. on every level of that. When she's like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it's weird to me. I get that you would, would want to talk to people and whatnot, but I don't know. It's like a short film about who she's talking to on the other end, though. Wait, what about that? Like, you could always watch the little short film of who she's talking to on the other end. What do you mean? Oh my god, you didn't know that there's a short film? I didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, so confused right now. So the person that she's talking to on the other end where she can't understand what's happening, mm -hmm. um, Jonas Cuaron, who is either the son or the brother of Alfonso, uh, directed a short film for the Blu-ray release. And it's from the point uh -oh. of view of the guy down on Earth talking to her. Interesting. Yeah. So, And it's like the point where, I don't know, let her talk to herself, damn it. She has nobody else to. I get it. No, I get that. Like the talking, it's just the dialogue feels like it could have been. I think they focus so much on the other aspects that they like the dialogue was less important. And so I don't know. It's a great film. 
it's obviously a great technical achievement. It's one hell of a story to tell. And um, that's a quote from the movie, obviously. And Sandra Bullock is great. That's just my one little thing about it. You're wrong. I'll take it. Fight him. <laughs> <laughs> and Sandra Bullock coming off her win a few years earlier for arguably one of the worst best actress winners of all time. The, According the, to Christian in his hot take. This is this performance from her is definitely much better than the blind side. We, this is the point where we lost the Sandra Bullock crowd, but at the same time gained the Sandra Bullock crowd. Any blind side like devotees out there, they're gone. So movie. But yeah. yeah. Can I read the facts? Yeah, go for it. This won seven Academy Awards, including director for Coron, cinematography for Lubetsky. Was this the first of three straight? Yes. Yeah, this is the first of three straight for him. So uh, film editing score, which the score is incredible. Sound editing and sound mixing, and of course, visual effects. Fun fact, this is the most e awarded film at the Oscars in the decade of the 2010s. Um, also three additional noms for picture, Sandra Bullock and production design. This is the number eight worldwide box office film of the year, grossing 723 million. Along with 12 Years a Slave, the film tied for best picture at the Producers Guild of America. Very interesting. Produced almost entirely in the UK. Despite often being considered a science fiction film, Quaron considered it a drama of a woman in space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, it says, I-E-C, Lucy in the Sky. <laughs> I don't think anybody saw. <laughs> uh, took four and a half years to complete. Coron only thought it was going to take one. Well, guess again, buddy. Angelina Jolie, couldn't see. Marion Cotillard, couldn't see. Blake Lively, no. Natalie Portman, definitely not. All considered for the lead. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. originally tapped to play Clooney's role, possibly. The landing scene was filmed in Lake Powell, Arizona, where the landing scene from Planet of the Apes was also filmed, which I didn't know that, so that's pretty cool. That ending scene, I want to talk about that really quick, though. Oh. It's, it's pretty great. Oh. First question, did she really land on Earth? Ooh. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Second, though, the metaphor of it all, where she is literally having the struggle to walk on solid yes. land. After the one shot in space where she's like the fetus, the fetal position... Incredible. The symbolism there. The symbolism, friends. She has trouble adjusting to gravity. Oh. Whoa. Isaac Newton is shaking. <laughs> uh, let's see. Despite having some scientific inaccuracies, some astronauts have praised the film for accurately presenting what it is like to be in space. The opening scene from the establishing shot of the Earth to stone detaching is a single take lasting 12 and a half minutes. The second you learn that that is the thing it's incredible watching that whole scene play yeah. out the yeah. film runtime is 90 minutes like i said the international space station orbits earth every 90 minutes and the the debris filled in the film uh circles the earth every 90 minutes that is nuts Corone. that's that research. <laughs> but no that first shot is like Absolutely. I love long shots. I'm a sucker for them. Corone has some amazing ones between this and Children of Men and so good. That opening shot is incredible. I can't imagine trying to walk 
after landing like that. And I have a broken leg right now. Like, I can't walk. (laughs) One of my favorite moments in film school from a professor that Chris and I actually have feelings about he was like mm. going over like a 2013 year interview and he showed us that opening scene and he's like quote gravity is about finding your balance in life and i'm like that's deep i like that and so that stuck with me i hope somebody found her <laughs> <laughs> i know it just like ends right there and i'm like what does she like what happens? Did someone find her? Is she on an island in the middle of nowhere? Does she get eaten by a snake? Like, <laughs> my mind just keeps going. Sorry we're spoiling the ending for anybody listening, but clearly that shot, every time I see it, I'm like, that is Southeast Asia. Yeah. And the movie's what I picture it to be. And if she's in a densely not populated area, you better hope that somebody was tracking that thing going down. And that they know exactly where she is. That would be my hope is that Houston was tracking it. Cause like I've seen like a Buzzfeed article where it's like 12 movies where the characters probably died after the ending and gravity was like <laughs> number one or two on their list. And I was like, no, <laughs> but, but at least she found peace with her life. That There you go. At least we got I like to give her a backstory too. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, that's good development there. Cause she's not just like some random woman up there doing research. Like she had she had and she has a life outside of all of this. Yeah. <sighs> Very nice. All right. Christian, I believe you've got the next one as well. We do. Well, if you are all listening on your phones, um, your phones are out to destroy you. Which leads us to our next film. It is called Her. Directed by Spike Jones, the film is about Theodore Twombly, played by recent Academy Award winner Joaquin Phoenix, although we do not talk about the movie he won for. And he is sort of a lonely man. There's not a whole lot in his life. He doesn't really form relationships well. He's awkward. He's a very beautiful man in this, I must say, though. For reasons which some of us know. Um... But anyway, so he decides to get sort of an operating system, downloads it, and it comes, quote unquote, alive into this assistant helper friend named Samantha, who's voiced uh, pretty brilliantly, I think, by Scarlett Johansson. And they just sort of have a great communication. It's interesting to see, this is set in the future, so it's interesting to see, though, the relationship between him and Samantha, who is pretty much what we have as phones now. Um, but no, their relationship develops in sort of an interesting way. They get very, very close for it being a computer. And <laughs> yes, uh, he, you know, likes to get choked with the, like a dead cat or something like that. <laughs> um, but no, this is a great film. I like it. It's, it's very somber for it being a film that at the heart of it. I don't know. There's so much going on in this film, though, that you can think about. It's like you're lonely and you finally find that one person who can help you, but you can't really get them. And in this case, because she's an operating system, he has his own past issues with a former wife who's played by Rooney Mara. Joaquin and Rooney Mara 
became very close on this film and now they're they're having a baby yep but uh yeah her is a great film i will say and joaquin phoenix is he looked good in this (laughs) and i may be biased because he looks like a former co-host on this toby and yes and toby hey you know this No, it, the the film opened like the opening shot, and I literally texted Christian. I was like, "Joaquin looks like Toby in this." <laughs> so, I back that up. Um, God, what a screenplay, though. I mean, this is like one of the most original films of the 2010s. One of the most original films I've seen. And Spike Jones just wrote a hell of a screenplay. I mean, there's a lot of great things in this film, but that is particularly why it works for me because. It begins with this great plot device that, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's character is this lonely guy who writes love letters for a living. Like, that's what he does for his job. That's such a cool job. I want that job. Right? But in reality, he can't reflect that in his own life, you know, with his, with Rooney Mara's character and he begins to kind of discover that with Samantha. It's just a great plot device. And, you know, a film about a relationship between a man and his operating system says more about love than most romances you'll see nowadays. And, you know, they say, (laughs) they say, you know, in the film, love is a socially acceptable form of insanity. And, you know, the the film kind of touches on that. And this relationship that forms between Joaquin Phoenix and Samantha in the film might come off as weird at first, but it it just makes sense. You know, it it you begin to see this take on emotional attraction and how they connect with one another. And yeah, great performances. The tree, you know, voices Samantha perfectly. Um, no arguments with her performance. And I, agree. I did. I said the tree. Um, <laughs> but um also, just the use of colors in this movie, the color red in particular is great. And the production design is some of the best of the year. I personally think it should have won an Oscar for costume design because it presents a future that is not overly futuristic, but you can tell that it's not our time. And it, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's really great. I won't lie. When this movie first came out, I avoided it for so long this was the watching it for this podcast was the first time i had ever watched the movie um mainly because i just thought it was wild i was like who falls in love with their operating system because i just kept thinking of like siri on my phone and i was like no i'm not gonna fall in love with siri's voice that thing can't pick up what i'm saying half the time and it just, it just felt weird to me. I was like, this is going to be a terrible movie. This is not going to be a rom-com. It's going to be horrible. And I watched it. It's one of my favorite movies. I, it's, I love it so much. It's phenomenal. It's probably one of my favorite rom-coms now. Um, say what you will if you think it's a rom-com or not, but I personally think it is. Um, and it's just... It's wonderful. It's so sweet. And it also makes so much more sense now that I know 
the operating system's voice is Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Who would not fall in love with Scarlett Johansson's voice? Like, it's true. Say what you want about her, but her voice, <laughs> damn. Just saying. Yeah, it, it does have those. I was surprised this watch on the moments of comedy that are in it that are pretty funny. You know, in particular, this like the video game with the little oh my God. creature who like cusses out Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> that face. <laughs> that scene is so face. funny. Spike <laughs> Jones' voice, too. It is. I forgot about that, but yeah, it is. But yeah, it's also really funny that Spike Jones was also had a cameo role in The Wolf of Wall Street, which we'll get to later. So he was all over the place this year and he hasn't done a feature film since, I don't think. So has he? I don't think so. I think he might. Well, because he's also like a music uh, video director, too. Yeah, I think he's done quite a few of those. But Spike, come back. This movie hits me so hard just because my my personal life most of the romance that i've had has been through my operating system through long distance texting mm-hmm. yes so it this i'm always connected to this the feelings of loneliness especially a lot of the times yeah it all just it makes sense in ways that you wouldn't expect and it's really interesting if you watch the crowds in this movie because when he's walking to the crowds, they are all attached to, to their phones. And so that's a, it's a nice, interesting statement. And, you know, it becomes revealed that these operating systems and these human relationships are becoming common and it just works I'm out not, pretty nicely. I also like the ambiguity of where this takes place. True. I'm not sure if they ever say it, but it feels like it takes place in Tokyo. Mm. Just because of like, <laughs> The moon. Like, it could be in the moon for all you know. It feels like it takes place in Tokyo. It does. And it feels like it takes place in like San Francisco when they go to the beach. Yeah. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Like, I don't know if they ever clearly state where they are, but it could be anywhere. Maybe it's, I mean, it is the future. Maybe they can teleport. <laughs> so they're just everywhere at the same time. That'd be cool. Yeah. Do you, Christian, do you want to go over the fun facts? Yes. I just want to say, do you remember, though, when we could ask Siri? I don't want her to go on right now. Okay. <laughs> My phone right here. When we asked, you know who, about Samantha, and she actually responded. And she was, like, jealous. Like, I don't talk yeah. about her. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I try, when I watched this, I tried to do that to see if it could remember, and it didn't do anything. Oh, damn. Yeah. It would have been fun, though. Um, so this was nominated for, oh, this won for Best Original Screenplay for Spike Jones, And it was nominated for four other things, Best Picture, Best Score, Best Song for the Moon Song, and Best Production Design. The production design was great. So, okay, so it was filmed in Los Angeles and Shanghai. Again, though, it goes so for, uh, let's see, voted the 84th greatest film since 2000 in a 2016 BBC poll of critics from around the world. Jones was inspired after reading an article about a site where users could have instant messages with AI. Carrie Mulligan was originally cast in the role played by Rooney Mara. This is the biggest biggest fun fact right here. Samantha Morton, who's an actress, was originally the voice of Samantha being present on set every single day. 
During editing, Jones felt something wasn't right, received Morton's blessing, and re-recorded the entire thing with Scarlett Johansson as Samantha. Very interesting. Uh, Morton also gets an executive producer on this since, you know, she helped a lot. Steven Soderbergh assisted with cutting the film's length and eliminating unnecessary subplots. I think I read the first cut of this was maybe near like two and a half hours, which, yeah. And Amy Adams, who is also in this as a very very small supporting role, but she's good in this as well, has said that Jones would lock her and Joaquin Phoenix in a room to get to know each other. And because of this, they became friends and they maintained a pretty close friendship. That's cool. That's wholesome. It wasn't one of those creepy things. Yeah. Thank God. David O. Russell would probably be like, hey, Amy, he hates you. Fight each other. (laughs) It is really interesting, though. I do remember when this film came out and like Oscar nominations were kind of coming its way. And it was actually, you know, kind of a surprise hit with the Oscars. And they were actually, you know, conversations that Scarlett Johansson was an outside shot at getting a supporting actress nomination, which... Would have been pretty cool for this particular role. But yes, any further thoughts on her? I think my last thought would be that I think one of the reasons I like it so much right now is because COVID-19 is happening and I am literally attached to my phone all the time. I think I FaceTime my mom every day. This is true. Like every day. Brett, Brett witnesses it happen. And for like hours at a time, yeah. not just like 10 minutes. It's like three hours. <laughs> and I'm literally on my phone right now deciding what scary movie I'm watching tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next film is from Alexander Payne. It is Nebraska. And so this is a black and white um comedy drama mini adventure film it centers on woody grant who is played by bruce dern and he is an elderly man who is struggling with what might be early signs of you know dementia or alzheimer's and um he thinks that he has won a million dollars because he got this letter in the mail from a magazine subscription company saying bring in your winning numbers, come to Lincoln, Nebraska and gain, get your million dollars. It's obviously a scam. And that is clear to his son, David, as well as his wife, Kate, played by Will Forte and June Squibb. And, but he is just persistent. He gets out on the road. He starts walking from Billings, Montana, Montana, trying to make his way to Nebraska. Finally, his son, David is like, all right, I see that my dad, this is all he's really living for. He really wants to do this. Why not take the time, spend some father-son time, and I'll take him to Nebraska. And so they set on this car trip. There are some complications around the way. Woody is an alcoholic, and so he's often found in bars at any chance he gets. And he does get very confused and tends to wander off on his own and lose his teeth and (laughs) fall and hit his head and do stuff like that. But eventually they end up in Woody's hometown in Nebraska where they encounter people who, now that he's quote unquote rich, they want his money and his family is there. And it kind of reveals how he was taken advantage of over the years and that there's kind of more to him than meets the eye. While at the same time, he's building a very unique and different type of bond with his son, David, 
as they set out on this ill-fated road trip together. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this is shot in black and white, which I personally think is a great directorial choice by Alexander Payne because I think it's a reflection of Woody's world and how he sees it. And I, I flat out adore, love this small, simple, human interest movie with the very interesting main character and his son. Bruce Stern is great. June Squibb is amazing. If it weren't for Lupita Nyong'o, I would say that she deserved the Oscar that year. Um, she was another one that kind of came out of nowhere that year and put on this great performance. Um, there's also Bob Odenkirk is in it, Stacey Keach. I mean, it's a really good cast. And it is downright funny. Um, at numerous times throughout the movie, when I first saw this, I saw it in a theater and I was the youngest one by probably at least 40 years. And we all laughed together and had a good time. And I still laugh at it. I think it's a great, easy watch. Really just enjoy it. It's just an easy one to sit down and have a nice human emotional story. Yeah, I liked it. It oh. wasn't my favorite out of all the movies that we watched. It also was not my least favorite, right? Like I didn't hate this film. I would watch it again. Um, but there were just parts of it that I got kind of bored. And I'm really not sure why, because it is a good movie, but there, I just got a little bored throughout it. Um, I will say the one thing that I think I like the most about this film is the dad, right? Like he's an older man. He would be someone that would be around my grandpa's age. And he reminds me so much of my granddad in so many different ways, except that this man is just a much grumpier version of my granddad. But the snarkiness that he has throughout the movie, the humor that he carries throughout the movie, the witty comments that he has, um, you can tell even though he's on the brink of maybe Alzheimer's or dementia, that he's also still a very intelligent person and my granddad is also that way he's just one of the most intelligent people i've ever met in my life and it just it reminds me so much of him and then throughout the entire movie it obviously takes place in all these little small towns as they're traveling and it just reminds me of home it reminds me of scandia kansas <laughs> little tiny town i grew up in with less than 350 people like really tiny town um, and it's just wholesome, even though I got a little bored throughout it. It's, it's a wholesome movie that I really, I really did enjoy. Um, so this is one of those movies that grew on me, I think. I liked it, liked it a little bit when I first saw it. I really liked it this time. Again, with that wholesome feeling of like small town environments. So we're all from Kansas. You two are from smaller towns. I'm from the city. However, my family is from like small town Kansas. So I sort of feel that sense, especially like when the family and this come together and they all want something out of Woody from that money that he's supposed to get. I'm like, that's my moocher uncle who doesn't listen to this podcast. So he will never know I said that. Um, but no, I liked it. And Bruce Dern is good in it. The real star of this movie is June Squibb though. I will, and I hope you all agree. Um, so I have a message, actually, from uh, 
our good friend Zay. Yes. Loves, loves this film and loves the one, the only, the June Squibb. Okay, so I'm on my phone, so the, the, the quality is not going to be as good as usual. Um, also had a couple drinks in me. So I just want to talk about um, Nebraska 2013, directed by Alex Payne. Um, it's such a wonderful, stupendous movie. Um, it came during a period of my life that just made me really love film. And all of the actors are amazing. But however, my main love of my life in that movie is June Squibb. June Squibb should have tied for the Oscar with Lupita Nyong'o. Um, just absolutely fucking phenomenal. She's so funny. It should have given her a million more um, movie roles than just Grandma who shows up in two scenes. I'm looking at you, Palm Springs. It's a good movie, but it should have been... We should have seen um, June Squibb go through a couple time loops, I think. I think that would have made it a perfect film. Um, but yeah, June Squibb um, has some of the best lines in that film. There's a lot of fantastic lines in that film. Um, it's one of my favorites. It's like definitely in the top 25 of all time. Um, beautiful, stupendous, amazing, life-changing movie and June Squibb. Thank you. And I basically said, do you want to say anything? And I'll repeat it. And uh, Zay said, I love when June flashes her cooch. What genius acting. <laughs> <laughs> also, hell fucking yeah. Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> so, and I said, that's, is that all? So we'll see if they respond back to that. But no, June Squibb, really, for being somebody who you've never heard of mm-hmm. before this film, even though she was in about Schmidt, also directed by Alexander Payne. She has some of the best lines in this film. Yes. And if you don't mind, I would like to read you the entirety, which is not that long, of this scene that she's in. May I? Go for it. Yes. This is June Squibb speaking to her son, Will Forte. And they're at the graveyard. There's Woody's little sister, Rose. She was only 19 when she was killed in a car wreck in Wasu. What a whore. (laughs) Mom, no, I like Rose, but my God, she was a slut. Come on, I'm just telling you the truth. But where's your family? Oh, they're over in the Catholic cemetery. Catholics wouldn't be caught dead around all these damn Lutherans. And they get to the gravestone. Here's Delmer, Woody's cousin. He was a drunk. One time we were wrestling and he felt me up. Grabbed a handful of boob and Woody was right there and didn't have a clue, did you, Woody? Like, honestly, she's the voice of fucking reason in this movie. She is not, She is like your wacky aunt. She gives yes. zero fucks. She gives zero fucks. She tells it like it is. There's that whole, like, oh, they're doing their community service for their aggravated assault. You mean the rape? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, we're just asking for a little money. Well, you guys just go fuck yourselves. She is amazing in this. And she honestly, I think it's because of her that I like this a lot more than I ever have before. And I just watched this back in November um, just to get, you know, just to watch it. And I was like, it's good. She's really good in it. But this time I'm like, you know what? I like it. I like it a lot. That's like one of my like favorite low-key 
Oscar noms of the decade because like we all knew Bruce Stern was going to get nominated. He won best actor at con for this. And it was kind of like his big return. And then, but June Squibb was like, maybe she will, maybe she won't. When she did, it was like, yes. And yeah, she's great. Um, I just love how oftentimes, you know, films about aging and particularly about the decline and health that comes with aging are just so heavy and sad. I'm thinking of like Amour, which is a great film, but you're not going to watch it much. This one, it does focus on that. Like it doesn't forget that, but it is also layered with comedy that kind of makes it a little easier to watch and enjoy. And it's also so dry. And yeah, I mean, when they're in that small town and they're all just sitting on the t couch watching TV and not saying much to each other, <laughs> accurate. That is accurate filmmaking for what that would look like. And so, yeah. I, it's weird that I see a lot of, I don't think they can hear me. I can see a lot of my parents in these two. <laughs> is, I think you do see people that like, for me, I see in David, my uncle, who is actually also named David, like I could see where my uncle would be the one to drive their dad wherever. And then my dad would be like Bob Odenkirk being like, are you crazy? Why are you doing this? So, yeah. But this did get six Oscar noms. It didn't have any wins. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for Alexander Payne, Best Actor for Bruce Stern, Supporting Actress for June Squibb, also for Cinematography and Original Screenplay. Um, this is actually the final film for Paramount Vantage, which was a distribution label for Paramount Pictures, which ceased operations that year. This was originally going to be Alexander Payne's first film after Sideways, but he didn't want to do two road movies in a row, so he did The Descendants in between. Okay, most of his movies are road movies. Yeah, that's kind of his thing. Um, Payne met with over 50 actors about playing Woody Grant, including, how about this list? Gene Hackman, Robert Duvall, Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, and Robert Forster. I could see Jack Nicholson. I could see Jack Nicholson. If he would have gotten Jack Nicholson, oh my God. Yeah. Um, in addition, additionally, for the role that Will Forte played, um, they considered Brian Cranston, who definitely seems too old for that role, Casey Affleck, Paul Rudd, and Matthew Modine. I think Will Forte is perfect in this. I do too. I think he's great. Um, like you said, June Squibb was in About Schmidt, and so Alexander Payne wanted to work her, cast her again and work with her in a bigger role. And, of course, Christian knew that this does contain a reference to the Golden Girls from Season 1, Episode 3, Rose the Prude. They're sitting around the TV, and you can hear Dorothy saying, what do these look like to you, Blanche Claus? <laughs> and I texted you, because we always do this with a little Golden Girls reference, this is modern. They don't, they didn't have episodes, but sure enough, I found one. Yep. They just show up all over the place. But yeah, that is Nebraska. Check it out. It's great. I love it. Check it out. Um, all right, Christian, you have got our next movie. All right. So this is one that Haley and I liked and Brett hated. To <laughs> put it mildly, it is Philomena. And it's directed by, oh, wow, our notes say Paul Greengrass. Oh, 
<laughs> it was not directed by Paul Greengrass. Really fighting off Somalian pirates. <laughs> directed by Stephen Frears, who also directed, uh, let's see, The Queen. Uh-huh. So again, Philomena, it stars Judy Dench and Steve Coogan, and it is based on the true story of Philomena Lee, who in 1951 got pregnant. Uh, she lives in Ireland, so a very big, large Catholic, really country there. This was sort of a scandal because she was unmarried at the time. She worked at a um, abbey. So for you non-religious people, that's where the nuns live. They sit on their perches all day and judge you silently. We're out loud. You're talking to a Catholic person here, so I get to say all this stuff. But anyway, um, so her time there, her son that she has gets adopted out to a family, and the nuns never tell her what happens. So she goes on through her life until the 90s when she meets journalist Martin Sixsmith, who's played by Coogan, and he discovers her story. He discovers that something happened at this abbey that they're trying to hide. They're trying to hide what happened in the adoption process, where her son went, who he ended up becoming. And so they, in this movie, go on a journey to find her son. And that leads them to going to Washington, D.C. In real life, uh, Philomena didn't actually go to Washington, D.C. But there is like the biggest clue and hint of where ha what happened to her son and who he became. Um, it is a very, I really enjoyed this film a lot. I think it is, I think it's worthy of its Best Picture nomination. Call me crazy. I know Haley's shaking her head yes. I would agree, yes. I honestly thought it was wonderful. Yes, and a lot of people don't think, it's like one of those surprise nominations. Mm -hmm. But it's, I, I like it a lot. I think it's really sad. I did cry up this time. Um, the revelation of what her son ended up being is freaking sad, though. I don't know if I want to give it away because it shocked me the first time I watched it. So I don't want to say what happened. Again, it's a true story, so you can always look it up. But no, it's, it's really good. Um, it takes sort of a really hard stance on this whole issue of Ireland and their Catholic community in terms of like having a child before marriage out of wedlock and the whole adoption process of it all. But no, it's good. I want to hear from Haley first so I can be happy. Yes. No, I, so this movie, when we first sat down to watch it, I didn't think I was going to like it because Brett kept telling me, well, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's not that great. Um, it, that was literally his response. It's fine. Um, but when I watched it, it was just so good. There was, it was so heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was funny throughout it. Like Philomena and Martin, the conversations that they have back and forth with each other are just hilarious. If you don't mind, I'm actually going to read one of them. Okay. Um, but Philomena is telling the story of how she had her son and whatnot to Martin and how it all happened. And she goes, and after I had sex, I thought anything that feels so lovely must be wrong. And Martin, being the blunt person that he is throughout the entire film, just goes, fucking Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard. It, it, it was just funny. Like he, she's just this sweet, wonderful person who 
even after all these terrible things have happened to her, just is optimistic and still finds so much joy in life. And Martin is like completely opposite. Martin is like, no, this is terrible. This is horrible. This is fucked up. I'm going to figure this out. And it's just the most like ironic pairing that you would ever see. And it's fabulous. I just think it's wonderful. And I also think it's, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything for people, so I won't go too much into it, but it really gets into Catholicism and religion and how judgmental religion can often be towards people when they're just trying to survive. And me growing up in the religious family that I have and growing up from a very religious area and still having those religious ties and watching everything that happens now, I just think even today, it's so relevant. It's so relevant to what, you know, you're taught as a child in being what religion is supposed to be. And then it just ends up being this very judgmental, harsh reality for so many people. Obviously it's not like that for everyone. Some people have really great experiences and like it, it can just be harsh. I think it's such a true testament to what people go through when they're trying to follow Christ and believe in religion and have that community and then end up getting judged if they make a mistake. And that's not how it should be. So I just think it's, for me, it really hit home for some things that I've experienced and for things that I've watched my family experience and things that I've watched my mother experience from the religious community that we belong to at home. So I really enjoyed it a lot. And you? Brett Doe's. <laughs> it's fine. It's good. I, I, when I first saw this in like 2014, I didn't like it. So I, I at least like it now. I, I see, definitely see the appeal of it. It is very sad and very, but also very charming. I do think Judy Dench is really good. It's good Oscar bait. It is. It it is definitely good Oscar bait. Yes. I I do think Judy Dench is really charming. I have no problem with that Oscar nomination for her. In fact, I think she should have had two in a row with this and Skyfall. Um, But I don't know. I think, you know, it starts out and it kind of has this interesting flashback structure where it's showing her in her time when this actually happened to her at a young age. And I wanted like, that was so interesting to me so that when that ended, I was a little bit sad to not continue that line of the story as well. Um, and so I, but yeah, I also really like Steve Coogan here. I think he's a great actor, kind of underrated. Um, I think it's a little bit harsh on his character. You know, I think, he is likable in a sense, but he's also, he is a skeptic and he talks so much about how wrong this is. And he's right. This is some messed up stuff. What happened to Philomena here and the ending, not the ending ending. I think it's near the end where they do like they confront one of the nuns on some stuff that happens and they have very different takes on it. Martin is like, justice like apologize for what you did and Philomena is just like I forgive you 
I have no problem with that. My problem is when like, it's almost as if Martin is wrong because he's angry because she kind of lectures him about it. But like, no, like there are plenty of cases in movies where there are angry white men and they're, you know, toxic masculinity and it's a problem. Martin has every right to be angry about this, as does Philomena. This is some messed up stuff. And I don't think he's wrong for that, particularly. So that was my little spiel rant on the ending. But overall, I do love them. I do don't love it. I enjoy the movie. I enjoy the movie. I enjoy the search for her long lost son more so than the interaction between the two of them, though both work just fine. Um, And the revelation of who her son was is very interesting. It's also very interesting that, you know, Philomena Lee, it's her own unique story, but this is something that happened to a lot of women. And Mm -hmm. it kind of makes a case of that. And so... I think it's good that this story was told and glad it got some attention for it because it was definitely a surprising best picture nominee. Um, but for me, it's, it's the definition of solid. I would disagree with you about the ending. Really? Oh, okay. Uh, to a point. I, I think when something like that happens to you or even like a trauma that happens to you, anything like that, you have the right to obviously react however you want. And I don't think Martin was wrong, but I also don't blame the movie or Philomena for that matter, for kind of scolding him for reacting the way that he did because it's her own trauma that she experienced and she's decided to make peace with it and to let it go. And she's just like, you know, like, it just chill out, bro. Like, that's basically her reaction. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame her for that because it's her own trauma. I wish it was more pointed, though, because she doesn't get mad at him for his outburst. She gets mad at him for being angry specifically. And so if she had said, you shouldn't have done this outburst, I'd be like, I get that. You know, he probably could have toned down a little bit. But she specifically says, I'm not going to be angry like you. And... So that's where it kind of differs for me a little bit. Well, it's also like, I don't know, she most likely wanted just to talk to that nun while he just goes in there and starts hitting and berating on her. <laughs> yeah, he says he something about... He doesn't about, hit her. No, but, he says well, something well, about wanting to knock her out of her wheelchair. He's like, I hope Jesus knocks you out of your fucking wheelchair and you never walk again. Like, words yeah no i i wouldn't mind like philomena i get up being upset with his method i don't agree with being upset that he was angry because this is something to be angry about okay yeah this is what he says so the nun says the lord jesus christ will be my judge not the likes of you and martin says really because i think if jesus were here right now He'd tip you out of that fucking wheelchair and you wouldn't get up and walk. <laughs> Is he wrong though? Is he wrong? Hey, I would react if I was with if I was Philomena's friend through all of this, I would probably react the same way as he would. Same. And again, it's it's weird how we're giving this so amb- ambiguously on what happens. Because <laughs> you have to see this to understand what's happening. And I don't really want to spoil it because it's good. It's like, a great film. Yeah. Like, and especially like learning about what happened to him, what, ha- what her son, who he became. 
Yeah. Do you want to go over our fun facts there? This is our most hotly debated movie right here. It wow. Is. Of all the movies, it was Philomena. And I like I don't dislike it, but Yes, you do. It's fine. Um, it's fine. It's My fine. name's Brett Doze. It's fine. Three out of five stars. Four Oscar nominations for picture. Judy Dench got herself an actress nomination, score and adapted screenplay. This was the runner-up for the People's Choice Award at the Toronto Film Festival. Based on the book, The Lost Child of Philomena Lee by Martin Sixsmith, the real Philomena works as an advocate these days and spokesperson for adoption rights. Um, she helps other people who have gone through the same experiences she has. Kyle Smith of the New York Post accused Philomena of being a, quote, boring attack on Catholics. He, all, he had also accused other Weinstein films of being anti-Catholic. That should focus on Weinstein there, Kyle Smith. Okay. I don't have to think about that. Uh, Philomena Lee did not actually go to Washington, D.C. with Six Smith. Um, okay, small spoiler alert. And her son's partner, because he was gay, was actually very keen to meet her rather than hesitant as he is in, as portrayed in the film, which I was surprised they portrayed him as hesitant because wouldn't she want to be like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that creative choice either, but. Yeah. Um, a lot of the home movies in this were actually of Philomena's actual son that the producers were able to obtain. And sister Hildegard McNulty, who I'm pretty sure is the one that Haley has referenced yes. in the where she hopes Jesus gets her win <laughs> on that, um, actually died about nine years before Six Smith began working on the story. Mm-hmm. But I could see why they put her in there because she's sort of the whole reason that Philomena has a story. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I really disagree with one of those fun facts. Which I don't one? think it's an attack on Catholics. Oh, I don't either. I really no. don't. Like the boring attack on Catholics. I think that's a really cheap shot because yeah. if you follow Philomena throughout this mm-hmm. entire story, it is very apparent that she is a devoted Catholic believer of Jesus Christ, believes in forgiving people, believes in believing the best in people. I think it just really sheds a light on some of the really nasty stuff that actually does happen, not just in Catholicism, but all religion, especially if you look at the colonial ties to religion coming into different areas, tying it back to white supremacy. Like I could go on for days, but I digress. Yeah, no, I specifically put that in there because I think it's a terrible criticism of the movie. And yeah, like like you said, Philomena is a very devoted Catholic throughout the film, despite what happens to her. So yeah, but yes, Philomena, any more thoughts there before we move on to our penultimate movie? The uh, best line in this movie is we could either go look at DC or we could watch Big Mama's house. <laughs> that is very funny. It's a good line. It's like, it's Martin Lawrence dressed up. <laughs> yeah, that is very funny. All right, well, we have a few, just two more films left. And our Ooh. next to last movie is... Before we, get to Scors- one, before we get to this one, let me just get my Quaaludes and my speed, and my cocaine. <laughs> oh my god. That's only like a fourth of the way to what Jordan Belfort would be doing right now. So, 
But yes, our film is The Wolf of Wall Street, which was Martin Scorsese's directorial effort from this year. And so this film follows the story of Jordan Belfort, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and he is a bad person. <laughs> so basically, he shows up to Wall Street as a young guy just out of college and really wants to make it in the as a stockbroker. He gets in with a big firm that's run by Matthew McConaughey, also in a better performance here in like 10 minutes than he is in Dallas Buyers Club. Um, and he kind of learns the ropes. And then bad stuff happens on Wall Street. The firm gets shut down. And so he has to start basically from the bottom, not the bottom, but the bottom of the stock market game up to the top. And he does so. And he begins his own company. He teaches these guys how to basically convince people to throw away their money and commits a lot of fraud, does a lot of drugs, has a lot of sex, particularly with sex workers throughout the film. And just a whole bunch of debauchery goes on throughout the movie. And along the way, you know, it's a very funny, very comedic film with a lot of interesting stuff going on with DiCaprio and with Jonah Hill, who plays his, um, his, his partner in crime. Um, Margot Robbie plays his second wife in the film in her first big role. There's a lot of chaos throughout this film. I mean, there are, you know, there are things from him getting restrained on an airplane for doing too many drugs and things like that. There are wild bachelor parties and, you know, throwing little people at targets in the office and eating people's goldfish. But at the same time, we're learning more and more as this goes along about how the feds and the FBI are tracking Belfort and plan to arrest him for committing these crimes, um, fraudulating people on Wall Street, basically screwing them out of their money while it all goes in, in, into his pocket. And so while it does, it is a fun film that has a lot of really interesting scenes. It doesn't lose track that this is a person who did a lot of bad things and eventually kind of a spoiler, but does get his comeuppance for it. Um, I think, I mean, in a, in a way, I'm just gonna say he's not on Wall Street anymore. Let's put it that way. I think it's very similar to Goodfellas with what Scorsese also did in that Henry Hill was another character where we were watching the gangster life and all the interesting things he did with that. But in the end, it comes back to bite him. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not going to say Belfort got what he deserved. He should still be in prison right now. But I think there's a big thing about this film where people think it's a glorification of Belfort, and I strongly disagree with that sentiment. I think Scorsese makes it pretty clear that he is toxic and pretty awful, and it comes to show in the final act of the movie. And so I love it. it was, it's always been one of my favorites from this year. I think Scorsese directed the hell out of this movie. The fact that he did this, you know, at this point in his career is pretty stellar. I think the editing from Thelma Schoonmacher is also fantastic. And DiCaprio gives what might be his best performance to date as Jordan Belfort as well. Take this, it away. This movie is phenomenal. This is my favorite. I have watched this at least 10 times. Like no joke, it's, I just think it's wonderful. It's hilarious. I think my favorite, I can't even, I can't even say it. Um, my favorite scene of this whole movie 
is when Jordan is just knocked off his ass, drunk, very high on drugs, whatever. And he gets into his car, right? Mm -hmm. And he's trying to drive home. And, you know, they initially show it as, yeah, he got home perfectly fine. The car was good. Everything's great. And then the police show up at his house and they're just like, Mr. Belfort, have you been drinking this evening? He's like, no. And they asked him if he had been driving under the influence and he was like, no. And then he looks outside at the car and it is just completely totaled. And then they go back and they do this whole rerun of what actually happened with the car and he can't move because of the drugs he's taken. So he's like trying to push his body into the car, but he just keeps falling over. And then when he's driving home, it's like watching a really, really bad game of Mario Kart. Like he just keeps hitting every single side of the road. It is hilarious. Um, that, that is probably my favorite scene of the whole movie. I just cannot stop laughing every single time I watch that scene. It's the best. It's the best scene. I agree. I also really like this film a lot. Um, I saw this actually, who did I see this with? Maddie. I saw it with her because we did a double feature of this and Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Right? Yeah. But I've always really liked this. I'll never forget, I did for my acting one final in spring 2014, a, a scene from another play that was similar to this in terms of like uh, the stock market and being ruthless and cutthroat. And I based it off of Leonardo's performance in here. And I'll never forget, my professor was like, so did you see The Wolf of Wall Street recently? I'm like, uh, yeah. But no, watching this again, because this is only maybe my third time seeing it, because it's a long movie. I tried to watch it last year before we went to go see The Irishman. It just didn't work out, though. Um, But there's so much going on, and it's so crazy and so wacky. And I don't know. It might be one of Scorsese's, like, his only comedy, really. Mm -hmm. You know, this is pure comedy, a pure adrenaline rush for everybody. And... Uh, Leonardo is really good in this, like super good. I don't know why we have Matthew McConaughey when Leonardo's like right there. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, but I mean, this is this amps up really quickly from a five to a ninety-five. Yes. Yeah. So, but it's good. It's great. I I looking at our rankings that you'll get to. Damn, I didn't. <laughs> damn, you guys. <laughs> left out of this but no i love this like i would give it five stars so i think the reason i loved it so much is because it's just so funny like i never stop laughing and it's a three hour long movie yes usually you can ask brett i hate long movies despise Mm. them they Mm. just i don't understand why a movie ever has to be longer than an hour and 20 minutes, sue me, whatever. That's really sexually low. Whatever. But anyway. Girl, you watch a lot of these. I watched a lot of these and they are all longer than that. So, um, 
But anyway, this movie was just, I, it was hilarious. I think one of my other favorite parts of this film is when they're all at um, someone's mansion. I can't remember who, whose mansion, but it's either a bachelorette party or bachelor party or a birthday party. And him and his colleague are upstairs and they both took drugs and then they are just like losing their shit. What's his name? Jonah Hill. Yes, yeah. Jonah, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill is like losing his shit and is just like half dead asleep. And then all of a sudden is just like, ah, wired. <laughs> it's hilarious. Perfect in this role too. Oh, he's he so is. funny. I and Mark Bobby is too. Like that's yeah. that's a in the making really the whole cast was like really great in my opinion yeah and then matthew mcconaughey for his like little little portion that he was in there when he starts singing in the restaurant mm-hmm. he's better in this than he was in the other one yes he was so much better i yeah I the one thing that tripped me up, and Brett, I texted you through this. I was like, wait, Margot Robbie is nude in this? My innocence. <laughs> I did not remember that. And now she's like a big movie star. Yep. Yep. Christian was like, my innocent eyes. <laughs> and I'm not surprised because it's like a Scorsese movie, but at the same time, I'm not. I'm like Harley Quinn over here. Like, I, Tanya, bombshells. I'm like, damn, what? And I remember when this came out, I was like, I, I bet she becomes a big star because I thought she was actually like, you know, when we're, when you talk about this movie, everybody goes to Leo because he's phenomenal and he's in like every scene, but like Margot Robbie is great here and Jonah Hill is great here. And Kyle Chandler shows up. I think he's really, I, I like him and everything. And obviously Matthew McConaughey and, I think everyone was great. It yeah. was just a well done movie. And, and I, this is, if you had the, if you had the right amount of time, this Goodfellas and Raging Bull, they all have the similar feel and tone with their main characters. Like this man mm-hmm. who's sort of like a weird circumstance gets too much power to his head, has this loving wife who also eventually gets sick of his shit. Yep. You know, I mean, Margot Robbie, Lorraine Bracco, and Kathy Moriarty in those films. Yep. They're all the same people, but so totally different. But they ain't putting up with their guy shit. It's like these, this Scorsese toxic masculinity trilogy. Yeah. Right there. Yep. Yeah. I, there's just so many layers to Leonardo DiCaprio here. Like, he does some voiceover work that I think is hilarious. He, his, like you said, Haley, his physical acting there's just like few people can just few people do it as well and put it on display the way he does. And that whole car scene. That it's mentioned. so good. <laughs> it's so and then, funny. you know, when Jonah Hill is choking on the deal and you've got Popeye in on the background and like his spinach is his cocaine and he goes, <laughs> 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 takes it and then just like, it, it's so funny. And I think Leo should do more comedies. I like he did, this Tarantino movie and he was really funny in that too. And what can I say? He's a good comedian and you know, was he's it, a comedy actor. It was either him or the movie at in whole that people were like, it's going to be maybe if it gets a nomination, I can't remember now. 
I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. I remember being, I don't know, I was a little bit surprised, but he also won the Golden Globe for the comedy. So I don't know. It was, a, it was just a, it was a competitive year. Mm-hmm. But okay. So this was nominated for five Oscars, did not win any. It got nominated for Best Picture, Scorsese for Best Director, um, which I do think was a pretty decent surprise at the time. Um, Leo for Best Actor, Supporting Actor for Jonah Hill, and Adapted Screenplay. Should have also gotten editing. Like, that's just, I get it was three hours long, but that's cruel. Um, It's based on the memoir of the same name by Jordan Belfort, and it's the fifth collaboration between Scorsese and DiCaprio. They got another one coming soon. Yeah. Um, criticized by many, like I said, as a glorification of Belfort and his associates. Is it though? Um, DiCaprio and Warner Brothers originally won a bidding war for the rights to this film against Brad Pitt and Paramount way back in 2007. Funny, they ended up acting together and Brad Pitt got his Oscar in a later year, but. I don't think Brad Pitt would have done this as well. No. Like, I don't see him in... I love Brad Pitt. Comedian roles like Leonardo DiCaprio is. Uh, Interesting. Ridley Scott originally offered to direct the film. Mm -hmm. Pretty glad Scorsese took it over. Um, Apparently the film and the book are actually more tame than what really happened, according to Belfort. Though the person Donnie Azoff is based off of, he has a different name, Jonah Hill's character, did indeed eat an employee's goldfish in the office. <laughs> I read that like Jordan Belfort said that there were some things that the random house just would not let him publish. So, wow. Holds the record for most F-words in a mainstream non-documentary film. I think there's like 560 some. Jeez. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of them. Uncut Gems from last year is actually right below it. So, this is actually the first major movie distributed entirely in a digital format rather than film. Ranked number 78 on the BBC's 2016 list of the greatest films of the 21st century. Richard Brody of The New Yorker named it the best film of the 2010s. Obviously, as can be expected, it's pretty controversial for the nature of its contents and also the use of animals in the movie. An interesting fun fact that I didn't know, but just this is awesome. Julie Andrews was considered for the role of Margot Robbie's aunt in the movie. I don't don't think she ever said it was this movie, but she hinted it was a Scorsese movie in the mid-2010s. What else is there going to be? It has to be that. And she's the British character of this this aunt, so... (laughs) Could you imagine, though? I watched this, and I'm like, could you imagine Julie Andrews kissing? (laughs) That would be hilarious. All right, well, that is The Wolf of Wall Street, the Scorsese movie from that year. Any final thoughts on that before we move on to our Best Picture winner? Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. About to get real serious up in here now. Yes, we have arrived at our big winner from that night, the winner of this picture. And the Oscar goes to... 12 Years a Slave. Will Smith announced it that year. Yes, 12 Years a Slave, directed by Steve McQueen. This is the story of Solomon Northrup, who it was based on his memoir. 
Um, it begins in 1841, where he is a free black man living in Saratoga, New York, with his family. He is an accomplished violinist, and so he plays at a lot of fancy parties, of course, mostly attended by white folks. And um, anyway, he is approached by these two men who want to basically bring him out and have him do some shows with his violin for them. They get him drunk, they capture him, and they sell him into slavery. And so as the title suggests, he spends 12 years in slavery before he eventually finds his way out. That may seem a spoiler at first, but this was based on his memoir. So obviously he does eventually escape slavery. And there's a lot of things that go into that and how he goes about doing that. But for those 12 years, which are presented here in the movie, as can be expected, he goes through a lot of inhumane, traumatic, brutal experiences committed both against him and against other slaves that he witnesses. This film, I, I remember when it came out, it was, it's always been in high regard just because of how it unflinchingly and accurately displays what slavery was like in the United States. Um, you know, this film, 12 years, so he, you know, he escapes in 1853, so this is still another 12 years before the Emancipation Proclamation, or 10 to 12 years, and so this is right in the midst of it in the U.S., and we see things that happen to him. We see things that particularly happen to Lupita Nyong'o's character, Patsy. She gets, I, I don't like to, you know, make it like a somebody gets it worse, but she gets it probably the worst of anybody that's presented in this film. The things you see here are just extremely violent, extremely brutal, and it is a very hard movie to watch. I'm not gonna say that it's not, but it's an extremely well-made film. Steve McQueen really had a really achievement from him on, on a level as a director. Great performance from Chiwetel Ejiofor in the lead role. We've obviously got Lupita Nyong'o who won her Oscar. Michael Fassbender plays um, this, the slave owner who owns Solomon Northrup throughout most of the film, and he is terrifying in this. Great ensemble all around. The cinematography is amazing. And it's really just, it's obviously not one of those films that you're probably going to watch over and over, if even more than once. But it is a great film, a great achievement, and really, I would say, deserving of that Best Picture Oscar at one. And so, thoughts? It's, uh, it's good. It's really good. I, I mean, it doesn't sugarcoat slavery. No. Nobody's happy in this. It's not like Gone with the Wind, which we've talked about. So there's no Mammy character being a supporting character and friendship with a Scarlett O'Hara in this. It's just brutal mm -hmm. to the end beautiful cinematography in this brett you texted me that this did not get a cinematography nomination there's that one scene with solomon is just like staring at the camera and crying that's that. um but no it's also it's it's weird to think that the only the director of this is not an american mm -hmm. Steve queen hails from europe so we, I mean, I'm not, I don't have any complaints there, but at the same time, it's so interesting that there couldn't be an American director to tell this story. And most you know of the I mean? actors are British too. I mean, most British. British. Yeah. 
Edgy Four is British. Uh, Michael Fassbender is British. Lupita Nyong'o, uh, she's technically from Mexico. Oh, yes. really? Yeah, she was born in Mexico. She's technically considered Mexican, um, but grew up in Africa and, of course, um, also England, I think. Yeah. So um, her big role here. But no, but that just it's just an interesting case there. And I think there were some, some complaints. I don't know about this or other films that American stories aren't being told by Americans. But that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. yeah. That came out a lot with Harriet last year. But that was also oh, yeah. particularly because Cynthia Erivo said some pretty, pretty problematic things about American black women, um, and she's British and played that role. So I think but, I would yeah. argue like a lot of the reason so many of the, well, especially this film, right? 12 Years a Slave. It is just brutally honest. I mean, you can look at the textbooks in our country. You can look at what is currently happening with, you know, the orange clown as the president and just everything that is currently happening. And so many United States citizens are not willing to brutally explain what is actually happening, what happened through slavery, and how much racism still deeply exists in this country. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is also just like the American studio system as well. I mean, like there are plenty of black directors in America who could tell this story, you know, and do really well with it. But the studio system just prevents those stories from being told oftentimes. And there is something you said as well that the Academy, when they do reward stories centered on black folks, they are often centered on, slaves and servants i mean if you think about this and the help and driving miss daisy (laughs) moonlight is obviously the one that's different you know as in terms of best picture winner but yeah but christian what else were you saying about this one oh i forgot (laughs) oh wow but i will say this is lupita's first role yeah Previously, she was a, I think she was a production assistant because I'll remember her interviews where she said she worked on The Constant Gardener and she would always talk to like Ray Fiennes and stuff and he would be really supportive of her. And now look at her, she still really doesn't get the roles. Yeah, finally got a lead role in Us and was amazing and didn't get it. So, but um, yeah, again, with this not sugarcoating shit, like sure, there were probably slave owners like the benedict cumberbatch character who are like everything's going to be chill blah 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 and then yes you probably have most of them being the michael fassbender mm-hmm. of the who was just like hey everybody if you don't pick this amount of cotton and it doesn't weigh this much guess what's going to happen next and it goes from there yep do you have some other thoughts on it there? I think my other thoughts would be is that the music throughout it was just insanely good. The music was at times so sad, but at the same time, there were so many transition pieces with music that were just eerie. Like it went from sad to just creepy, eerie, and then completely stopped. And it just, I I mean, it was phenomenal. The music throughout the entire thing was phenomenal. 
And then obviously, Lupita, I agree with you both, is just amazing in this film. I, I, I mean, she so accurately portrayed the pain you could tell her character was feeling and experiencing. And I, I just think it's phenomenal. I think teachers should have to show this <laughs> film over reading their, you know, one chapter history lesson on the Civil War that they do. They should have to show this film. They definitely get more out of it. Yeah, I mean, the, we've talked a lot about the cinematography, which was snubbed. And there are like uh, just three shots in particular that just stick with me. One is um, Solomon like hanging on the rope, but like just being able to like have his balance on the ground and it stays there for like an extended period. Wow. Um, another is the, the whipping scene where Patsy is very, very brutally whipped. The camera movement in that scene really heightens it and is really good work. Sometimes it's hard to like appreciate it because that scene makes me want to look away because it is so violent and brutal and intense. But and like you mentioned, the scene where like he's crying and there's the scene where like he is, it's a close up on him and he's singing. Chiwetel Ejiofor, by the way, great singing voice, deep, like almost sounds like Paul Robeson singing here. And like, one thing for me is that I so often thought back on Lupita Nyong'o's performance, which is my favorite in the movie, that over time I've forgotten just how good Ejiofor is here. Mm -hmm. He is, I mean, he's phenomenal. Kind of like Tom Hanks in Captain Phillips. Like, he's great for the whole film, but the last 20 or 30 minutes, it's just like a whole, another level of work here. So, um... This did get three Oscars that night uh, for Best Picture, Lupita Nyong'o for Best Supporting Actress, and Adapted Screenplay for John Ridley. It was nominated for six more. Um, Best Director Steve McQueen, who I'm sure was the runner-up to Poron. Actor for Tuatel Ejiofor. Supporting Actor for Fastbender. Costume Design, Film Editing, and Production Design. Also, Brad Pitt won an Oscar for this. This was his first Oscar win as a producer of the film. And I really like that watching it, he literally got up there, said his like brief thank you, and then was just like, here's Steve McQueen. Yeah, right. Like, this is his thing. I just helped. Yeah, which is great. Because like Steve McQueen, he wasn't, he didn't get credit as a writer. He didn't win for director. So that was his only opportunity to kind of speak on the film that night too. Um... So it was actually filmed on four historic antebellum plantation sites, one of which was actually pretty close to where Solomon Northrup was held. Um, its best picture win made Steve McQueen the first black producer to win the award and the first black director of a best picture winning film. It took 86 years. Wow. <laughs> um, also won the Golden Globe for Best Drama and the BAFTA for Best Film, among many other awards. It's ranked number 44 on the BBC's list of the greatest films of the 21st century. For the most part, it is considered very historically accurate. There are some debates about this um, among scholars. But McQueen and the writer John Ridley actually began consulting about the film back in 2008. Allegedly, there was a bit of a feud between the two because McQueen 
wanted writing credit on the film, um, but Ridley wanted sole credit and Ridley did get sole credit. It's hard to tell how much of this is true. Ridley has denied it. Steve McQueen doesn't talk about it. So who knows? Um, it was named the number one film of 2013 by at least 25 major film critics. And it won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is a pretty big precursor for at least getting a nomination and oftentimes a win. Didn't Green Book win that? It did. Yikes. I will say this film, like we're going to get into our rankings soon, but this film creates a dilemma for me because let's just say this is a case where, you know, the Academy, I think they picked was probably the best film. But since it is one that like, you don't always necessarily enjoy watching it and it's not one that I'm gonna watch multiple times, there are other films I enjoy more, but the Academy did good here. And we'll get to that too. So we're gonna rank all, all nine of these, number nine to number one. Haley, would you like to take us away? Oh, I would love to. Okay. So just as a precursor, I ranked all of mine by the way that I would actually watch them again because of how much I enjoyed them, not based on how amazing they actually are. Because obviously, if I base them on how amazing they actually are, I think the Oscars got it right and 12 Years a Slave would be my number one. But again, like Brett said, it's not one I would watch all the time because it's, it's a hard movie to watch. So. Number nine, which I don't even think should be mentioned, Dallas Buyers Club. It's shitty. <laughs> Number eight, Nebraska. Oof. Sorry. Sorry, friends. Number seven, American Hustle. Number six, 12 Years a Slave. Number five, Captain Phillips. Number four, Gravity. Love that film. That's for you, Christian. <laughs> Number three was Philomena. Number two was Her. And of course, my favorite of the year that I have watched many times, number one, The Wolf of Wall Street. All right. I'll go next. And Christian, you can take us home with yours. My number nine is, of course, Dallas Buyers Club. My number eight is Philomena. Oh. Sorry. My number seven is American Hustle. My number six is Gravity. Number five is Captain Phillips. Number four is 12 Years a Slave. Number three is Her. Number two, Nebraska. And number one, I concur, The Wolf of Wall Street was my favorite of these nominees. All right, so mine, number 16,986 <laughs> is Dallas Buyers Club. Why that number? Christian, why that number? Well, Letterbox, my favorite website, uh, a great website, you all should sign up, yes. has 16,985 other, not including these nine, 2013 releases. <laughs> so I'm saying out of all of them. Yes. Uh, and then we get to number eight, American Hustle. Number seven, Philomena. Number six, Nebraska. Number five, Captain Phillips. Number four, The Wolf of Wall Street. Number three, 12 Years a Slave. Number two, Her. And number one, The Best, Gravity. 
All right. Well, we definitely have some conflicting opinions about what is at the top. And so just like last time, our good friend and guest on the podcast, Toby, did an average ranking for us, considering all three of our, um, our rankings in there. Christian, would you like to read what those are? Yes. Okay. So number nine was Dallas Buyers Club, because we all put it at the same spot. Number eight was American Hustle. Number seven was Philomena. Number six was Nebraska. Number five was Captain Phillips. And he was actually very surprised we all put that as our number five. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Number four was 12 Years a Slave. Number three, which I do not accept this, was Gravity. <laughs> number two was Her. And because of you two, number one was The Wolf of Wall Street. It's so Hey, you know, Scorsese waited so long for his first Oscar. You know what? Totally cool giving him another one. This is such a weird case where did the Oscars get it right? I would say yes, but it's very hard to really pick from this group. Yeah. Yes. The only one I straight up hate is <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. The rest yeah. of the movies, I'm like, you know, y'all did good. This is a great year. And it's like the case for the 12 Years a Slave is such the significance of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, you know what? Let's give it to this very, this story that hasn't been told the way it's being told. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it's by far the most well done movie. Mm-hmm. It's such a competitive year. I mean, we've had, I don't know, like I think of like a movie that's 12 Years of Slave has often been compared to is Schindler's List because it is another unflinching look at a very brutal time period in history. The difference there is that, you know, I'm pretty sure Schindler's List was the only nominee from 1993 that I even gave five stars to. And here I've got four or five. And so that aspect of like, rewatchability and how much we mm -hmm. enjoy it versus how good it is objectively definitely comes into play for us. So it is an interesting situation, but yes, that is the very good best picture lineup of 2013 and how we thought about it. Be sure to tune in next time because we are not done with this year. We've got actually five more movies that we're going to go over. And of course, we'll have some honorable mentions and we do our favorite section, which is our personal awards for the year, um, which was also kind of difficult to do for this year because it's so competitive. So be sure to tune in for that. Um, should be out in a couple weeks after this one is. Um, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and um, be sure to follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Check out guildedfilms.com. Um, our... Theme music was composed by Joshua Arnoldi. And yeah, we had some fun with this one. So Haley, before we sign off, any final thoughts from you? Don't do drugs and tune in for the next podcast. Perfect. I'll be back. <laughs> Christian, final thoughts from you? Um, nothing, but for the next podcast, to give a little hint, there's a movies that we could not just let it go. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. So be sure to tune in the ne next time and we'll catch up with you then. <laughs>